You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Thank you, brother. Again, happy Easter and good to see everyone. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to go to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, as Pastor Luke said, if this is your first time, you can relax. We don't expect anything from you. We just ask that you expect to hear from God today through His Word. And so Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you don't own a Bible and you would like a copy of God's Word, we do have free ESV Bibles for you. They're black, hardback, on our welcome table. You can grab that and take it with you when you leave. That's just our gift to you. Um, And if you don't have a Bible on your phone or, or just a physical copy with you, we'll put the words on the screen for you. So Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it's good to be alive, isn't it? It's good to be here this morning celebrating our resurrected King Jesus. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes the following, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and whence you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. And the man were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, aren't you glad God butted in? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Will you hold your spot there and now go with me to Genesis chapter 4. One more passage I want you to read. Before we dive into the sermon this morning, Genesis chapter 4, you can hold your spot in Ephesians 2. And hear from God's word. Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Adam and Eve, his wife, or Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. And you must rule over it. This is a word from the Lord. Will you pray for me one more time as I pray for you? Father, we come now and we we, we come here this morning to be transformed. We didn't come here just to mark some thing off our list. We attended an Easter service in 2014, but we came here to be transformed. And so we need you to do now what only you can do through your spirit for our good and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Has anybody in here ever had your home broken into before? Anybody? 
Okay, a couple of you. It's an awful feeling, isn't it? Uh, a few weeks ago, I was laying in bed, and at 2 a.m., I was awoken by the sound of our bedroom door creeping open. And I sat there for a second, and I knew that something wasn't right. And I was just trying to figure out, like, am I imagining this? Like, did that door really just open, or am I still sleeping? And as I was sitting there trying to ponder what was going on, eventually I heard another sound come from the kitchen, which was the sound of one of our kitchen chairs scraping across the kitchen floor. And this time the sound was so loud that it woke my wife up. And so she sat straight up in bed, and I grabbed her shoulder, I said, I was like, don't move. And she said, what's going on? I said, someone's in the house. And so I, like, army crawled off of the bed onto the floor. And uh, I keep a gun underneath my bed. And yes, men, save your comments for later. You got a gun, Jared? Yes, I do have a gun. I own one. Um, And and so I grab my 12-gauge. I don't remember what kind of gun it is. uh, I don't shoot it a whole lot, okay? But I grab my 12-gauge, and I'm about to walk out the door and, and realize I probably need a shell. So I turn, you know, and I, and I go, and I grab my gun, and I begin to look for a shell. And Megan's like, what are you doing? And I was like, taking forever. I was like, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. Eventually, I found the shell. I get it in the gun, and I, I mean, my adrenaline is pumping like never before. I promise you, if my grandma would have jumped out with freshly baked cookies, she would have been shot. Like, I mean, my, my finger was on the trigger. And I was locked and loaded and ready for battle. And so I begin to walk out the door with my gun. And as I'm coming out the bedroom door, that's whenever I notice in the corner of my eye that there was a man. Just kidding. There is no man. (laughs) That would have been a really cool story. But as I'm coming out, I notice in the corner of my eye that I had left our dog door open. And the dogs were rummaging through the house, creating all sorts of racket. That freaked us out. Now, I thought about when I discovered that it was just the dogs, to be, you know, because Megan didn't know what was going on. I thought about being like, put your hands up! And, and Megan was like, that wouldn't have scared me. Like, you would have ever saw a stranger in our home and been like, put your hands up, buddy! You know, like, it's like, it wouldn't have scared me at all. But anyways, I put the dogs to, be, uh, to, to bed. Put the dogs in the room. I go back to bed. And I explained to her what's going on, and here's what's interesting. Even after we knew it was our dogs, we still couldn't go back to sleep. Because just the thought of a stranger being in our house creeped us out a little bit. And so we got back up, I turned on all the lights, I checked every closet and every room, she checked on our kids, I made sure the doors were locked and bolted and all that good stuff. And only after we did all of that could we go back to bed and finally go to sleep. And the reason why is because... We wanted to make sure there was no intruder in our home that could harm our family. And I share that with you because when we read the Bible, the Bible says, though we don't think of sin in this way, that sin is an intruder. Sin has invaded the human system. And literally the Bible says it's seeking to kill, steal, and destroy you and your family. Sin is something we all have to struggle with, but, but it wasn't that way originally. When you read the Bible, you see that God originally created the world perfect. Out of the overflow of his own perfections, he created a perfect world that was beautiful and rhythmic. And at the climax of his creation, he creates Adam and Eve, not because he's lonely, not because he needed humans, but out of his own goodness, he said, I want to share my creation with humans. 
And so he creates them and he puts them in a garden. He says, you'll have this home and everything that I've created for you is good for you and you can enjoy it. But he says, look, I'm God. I created life. Therefore, I know how life works. And so trust me. If you trust me, things will go well. But if you do not trust me, things will go bad. And we don't have to get very far, do we? We get into chapter 3 of Genesis and we see Adam and Eve deceived by the serpent say, you know what? I don't think God knows how life works best. I think I know how life works better. And so they decide to do their own thing. They sin against God. And immediately, the Bible says, everything from single-cell organisms to mountains and oceans, everything has been fractured by this fall. Now, here's the problem. And this is where we all come in. Adam and Eve did not just let the intruder into their home, but they let the intruder into our home. He's come right into where we live. The Bible says it like this in Romans chapter 5. In verse 12 it says, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death through sin, and this way death came to, what's the word there? To all people. Because all have sinned. I love the way this verse is translated in the message. It says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma we're in. First sin, then death, and no one is exempt from either sin or death. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 the Bible says all have sinned. Who has sinned? All have sinned and all fall short of God's glory. In other words what that passage is saying is this. God created a standard for every single one of you to live by and the problem is it was a perfect standard that none of you could live by. All of us have missed the mark. All of us, like Adam, have said in our hearts, God, I know you've told me to do this. I know you've called me to live in this way. But I think I know better than you. I think I know how life works best. All of us have sinned against God. All of us have mocked God. All of us have belittled God. And some of us, the Bible says, have done it gladly. We are all sinners. And the problem is, this comes very natural to us. Because Romans 5 just said, and Ephesians 2 said the same thing, we are born sinners. Maybe some of you here today, you say, I don't think we're born sinners. Well, you need to have kids. Uh, Plural. Anybody can have just one kid and it turn out really, it's like a not like perfect little angel, but have two. Or three, and then you're on your knees all the time begging for God's mercy, right? (laughs) Just this past week, my daughter, my daughter who is two, two years old, sweet little Nora Kate, I look at Nora and I say, Nora, pick up your toys. And she looks right at me and she says, you pick them up. (laughs) I'm 150 pounds heavier than her at least. I'm like five feet tall and her, I'm her dad and she's bossing me around. I'm like, what is that, where does that come from? My son, who, who smiles and laughs and unlike Nora, he, he, I think he likes us and he likes to cuddle. and, and, and uh, he, he's, a, he's a great kid, but he's just started something recently where if you take something from him, he will roll around. He'll throw himself on the ground and begin to roll around like a man on fire. Seriously, I'm like, Wyatt, I just took lint from you. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And he just started this this week. And my wife's here. She can vouch for this. I'm not making it up at all. This week, this just started. 
Um, every time I preach on something that happens in our family, doesn't I'm preaching on kids being born evil, and God's like, I'll show you evil. And so, like, my, um, we, we put my kid down for, for a nap, and he hates to have a nap. He goes buck wild, and I'm not kidding. He goes so crazy, he goes all Old Testament and begins to rip his clothes off of himself. My wife goes into the room and finds him completely naked and going crazy. Now, here's the weird thing. I didn't teach my son that. He's never seen me once have the remote taken from me from my wife and me just like ripping my clothes off in anger. It's never happened. Who taught him that? He's born that way. He's born that way. And and you know that if you have kids. How long does it take to begin to hear, no, that's mine. I don't want to. Or he's hitting me. Right? Or I hate you. It doesn't take long at all because we are born sinners. Maybe some of you in here, you say, not me, man. Like, my mom told me I'm perfect. Like, and I believe it. I actually had a guy tell me that a few weeks ago. I'm perfect. There's nothing to improve on. Maybe some of you believe that. That's you. I'd give you some advice. Go get married, and you'll realize that ain't true. Maybe some of you, you, you are married and you still believe that. Well, listen, you're not going to be able to read the Bible very long before God says you're a liar. 1 John chapter 1, God says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Again, the message translation puts 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 like this. If we claim we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. Guys, sin is real, and we're all in on it. And the problem is, the Bible just said that sin is like an intruder that is seeking to take you down. Sin is an intruder that wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Now here's the question, if that is true, should any of us be okay with sin? I mean, if that's true, that sin is that devastating, that, that, that it can absolutely destroy us, is it a good idea to just say, you know what, I know, yeah, God, you've said these things, and yeah, maybe I'm not doing them all perfectly, but it, it's okay, right, God? I mean, is it really okay to live in sin? Can we live in sin and choose to do our own thing and ever actually experience the fullness of life God has created us to experience? Well, the answer obviously is no. The reality is living in sin, struggling with this intruder, which we all have the issue with, is not only a dumb idea, it's a destructive idea because we miss out on the life God has intended for us to experience. Ephesians 2.1, Paul says, you, he's talking to a group of Christians here, to the church, you were dead in the trespasses. And sins. That is a sobering verse because here's what Paul just told each of us today. Is you can have a pulse. And you can walk around and you can breathe and not be alive. Paul just said that it's very easy for you to look good on the outside. But to be dead on the inside. In Romans chapter 3 verse 23 Paul would go on and he'd say that the wages of sin is death. Did you know that sin can be fun for a little while? 
Sin can be fun for a little while. It can be. It, it can be enjoyable. You can sin and, and laugh for a little while. It, it's kind of like when you go to a meal, if you've ever been to a fancy meal, or imagine going to an incredibly fancy meal and you're there with your friends and you're having a good time and you're laughing it up and you're eating everything you could ever want to eat and the drinks are great, food's great, atmosphere's great, and everybody's having a good time. But imagine eventually the bill comes to you. And it's a bill that you realize you can't afford. That's the way sin is. The Bible says sin is going to be fun for a while. You're going to laugh. You're going to have a good time. But eventually, the bill is coming. And what does Paul say at the end of the bill? It's going to say that you owe death for your sins. So the question is this morning, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do if all of us have sinned? If we're all sinners, and the Bible just said clearly sin is going to bring about death, what are we going to do? I don't know about you, I want to be alive. I want to experience the fullness of life. I don't want to just talk about Jesus. I want to experience the life that Jesus gives us. So, so what are we going to do today? See, I believe that that's a question all of us need to answer because I think that all of us in here want to be alive. That's why we watch action movies. I think, I don't know why people watch action movies. But some of you watch horror movies. It's just really strange to me. You love to be scared. I think it's because it just makes you feel alive, you know, when your adrenaline's pumping. And it's why we do crazy things like bungee jump. It's why we go fast and, and we go to concerts and sporting events and we hunt and we fish and we go on expensive trips and we build big houses. Why do we do that? Because we want to feel like we're really living now. Right? We want to be alive. But the Bible says you really want to experience life. Do you want to experience life? Do you really want to live? You better deal with the intruder. Because he's in your life. And he's here to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And so what are we going to do with the sin problem? Well, it's pretty easy. God told us in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. He said to Cain, he said, Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, if you do, not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is for you. But you must, or your translation could say you should, rule over it. So what do we do? We want to experience life? It's easy. Just stop sinning. Do better, Christian. Try harder. You want to experience life? Be good. Actually, no, be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect. That's easy enough, isn't it, everybody? The sad thing is, there might be some of you here because you're an American living in the religious South who believes that's the gospel. I actually, and I won't name the church, or I won't name the, the I was in this area, uh, and I was, I drove past a church, that church building that had a sign, and the sign, which I always thought, you know, the signs, like, you want to put, like, the thing, whatever the, me- you want, like, to be the message, you know, like, this is what we want everybody to know on behalf of our church, and the sign said, hey, it's the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. And I was like, oh, well, good news. You know, like, great. That's what I needed today was just to be reminded how big of a sinner I am. And, and so, like, I, I continued to drive 
further and I come through the school right down the street and there's a big sign at the school that says in big bold letters, believe in yourself. I'm not even sure what that means. I guess it's like look in the mirror and be like, hey, you're a winner, guy. You know, or like, I believe in you. Uh, And so here's the message that a lot of us hear growing up in this area. Try harder, believe in yourself, and just do better. Believe in yourself and just obey all the rules. Just try harder, be better, and you can do it because you're a winner. But we know what? The reality is we can't do it. I mean, can we just be honest this morning? When is the last time that you, by trying harder in your own power, completely lived a sinless life? I mean, if I can be honest with you, and I'm a pastor, do you know what happens when Jared Pitney tries harder not to sin? I sin more. Do you know what happens whenever I just try, I'm just going to obey the rules. If that's all I'm thinking about, obey the rules, obey the rules, obey the rules. There are ten commandments, not ten suggestions. Come, you know, follow these things. Do you know what happens? I break the rules because here's what happens. When that becomes my focus in my own power, eventually I get absolutely exhausted. I get tired of doing good and I decide to do what's bad instead. And sometimes I don't even need an excuse for doing what's bad. Sometimes I just wake up in a bad mood. Sometimes I just wake up frustrated or anxious. I don't even need an excuse. I don't even know why I'm going to sin against somebody. I'm just going to. Because I just woke up that way. We can try as hard as we want not to sin. But the problem is, we don't do very well, do we? You might have a little stretch for a little while where you feel like you're doing really well, but eventually you are going to sin. And the question is, what are we going to do about it this morning? Some belief systems will tell you this. Some churches will say, you need more information. Go get more education, read more books. Information will equal heart transformation. Some people would say it's all about meditation or relaxation. Just breathe in the positive and exhale the negative. Some churches will tell you, just try harder. So what do you do? What are we going to do if we're really going to experience life? That's the question, right? How are you going to experience abundant life? Are you ready for taking notes? Here's the answer. What can you do to experience true life? Nothing. Happy Easter. Let's go get jacked up on some Cadbury eggs, right? You you can't do anything. Do you know why? Because you're no match for sin. You cannot overcome the powers of hell. You can't. And I can't. There is no way we are absolutely dead in our sins. And what potential does a dead man have? Nobody walks past a casket and says, I see so much potential in this person. I'm not trying to be crude. I'm just saying, like, think about it. We are dead in our sins. We are helpless, the Bible says. Do you see that? You're hopeless. There is no hope. Unless, unless... There is someone who has power over death. And that's where we come to Ephesians 2, 4, where it says, you were dead, and you were following the course of this world, and you were actually an object of God's wrath just because you were born with a sin nature. Verse 4, but God. Aren't you glad God butted in? But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which, with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with 
Christ. Christ is alive, Paul says. And God has made us alive with Christ. And that's the good news of the gospel. That's why we celebrate Easter. That because we have Jesus who is alive, we can now be made alive. God has, through the power of His Spirit, taken Christ from a tomb and He rolls Him from the dead and He says right here, this is exactly what I want to do in the lives of those of you who are spiritually dead. I want to bring you to life. And so what does God do? He puts on flesh and bone. And he comes in the form of Jesus Christ and he lives a sinless life that we can never live. God, through Christ, he, Christ, he, he lived the perfect life. He fulfilled the standard that we could not fulfill. And then he went to a cross and he suffered for us. He said, you, you deserve God's wrath, but I'm going to take God's wrath for you. Jesus went to the cross and says, you actually deserve hell, but I'm going to take on hell for you. You actually owe death because of your sin, but I am going to pay death for you. While we were still sinners, while we were still dead, Christ went to the cross and he said, I will be treated as a sinner by the Father so that now you can be treated as righteous by the Father. You can be made alive. And no matter where you've come from or what you've done, you can stand before God holy and blameless and accepted for all eternity. That's the good news of the gospel. And not only that, we see that he didn't just remain dead. Three days later, the reason we celebrate Easter and we celebrate every day as a Christian is it says that he rose from the dead. Jesus Christ, you've got to hear this. He didn't just endure death, he conquered it. And then he walked around just to prove that as he had said in John 11, that I am the resurrection and the life. And the really good news is, is whenever he went back to be with the Father, he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. He said, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And what does Romans 8 say about the Holy Spirit? It says that this Holy Spirit that we have been given, Romans 8 verse 11, is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Wow! You had the same Spirit in you that raised Christ from the dead. It's going to be a good day, I promise you. Who can be against us? doesn't matter how dead you feel, you can be made alive. And you've got to get that today. That's the point of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is not shame on you for being so bad. That's not the primary message. The message is Jesus standing before you and saying, Won't you come to life? Why don't you stop trying to live life your way? How, how has that worked for you? Would you trust me, the creator of life, that I know how life is best lived? The gospel is Jesus says, I am alive and I want to now make you alive. And why does he do this for us? Because we've earned it? Because we deserve it? No, He makes us alive, the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 4 of Ephesians, because He is rich in mercy. And it goes on to say He's done this because of His grace. We could not save ourselves. But John 3, 16 says that God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. Have you ever thought about that? He so loved the world. Have you ever had a case of the so loves? You do crazy stuff when you so love somebody. And the Bible says God so loved you 
that he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that those who believe, you hear that? Those who believe might not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know what the greatest obstacle for some of you is this morning to experience in true life that you've been longing for? You know what the greatest obstacle is? It is not your devotion. It is not your discipline. The greatest challenge is just for you to believe the gospel. And if you can believe it, you are alive. And I don't know, maybe some of you even here right now in your heart, you're doubting and you're saying, could it be? That there is a God with a love so scandalous, so gracious, so welcoming, so vast, so deep. And the answer is yes. And my prayer for you this morning is that through the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, He will make this truth explosively alive in your heart, and this will be the moment that you pass from death to life. Where you go from being an object of God's wrath to being His dearly beloved child. How do you experience life? Guys, the answer is so simple. We've made it so complex. The answer is Jesus. It always has been Jesus and always will be Jesus. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you want to experience the life that you know you're longing for, Jesus is enough to experience that life. The good news of the gospel that we celebrate on Easter is this. It's not try harder. It's not try harder. It's not be better. The good news is that we have a risen Savior who has accomplished everything that we need to resurrect sinners. The good news is that the tomb is empty. Jesus is actually doing just fine today. He's ruling and he's reigning on his throne. And because he is alive, you and I can all be made alive. Guys, just think about it. You're longing for life. Has your spouse fulfilled that need? Has your kids fulfilled that need? Has your new house fulfilled that need? Your drugs, your alcohol... Your pornography, has that, has, that, has that worked for you? Yes or no? We know it hasn't. The only way that we can experience full life is in Christ. If you have met the real resurrected King Jesus, there is no reason in the world, no matter what you are facing, no matter what suffering you are going through, that you can't leave here today with a smile on your face and joy in your heart. I've been going through some suffering in my own life. And I'll tell you what, this passage this week has brought so much joy to me. Because you know what I realize? No matter what I experience in this world, it's not near as bad as the hell that I deserve. Jesus has taken hell for me. And now, rather than getting hell, rather than getting eternal death, I get eternal life with the Father. It's amazing. It's the greatest news on the planet. The question is this morning... Though I stand in front of a crowd, I stand in front of a crowd of individuals. Have you been made alive? Have you been made alive? My question this morning is not, have you been baptized? My question is not, have you prayed a prayer? My question is not, have you faithfully attended church over the past six months? My question is, have you been made alive? Have you met the real, resurrected King Jesus? If you have not, listen, please listen. 
I promise you, I promise you, your soul will never be saved and will never be satisfied. And you will miss out on the life that you are longing for right now, even this morning. Why would you want to leave here a dead enemy of God? Why would you want to miss out on the fullness of life you were created to experience? Too cool for Jesus, maybe. I don't know. Too smart for Jesus. Too prideful for Jesus. Too manly for Jesus. I'll just keep doing things my own way. I pray that no one today rejects his invitation to experience true forgiveness and the life that you were created for. If you have experienced the real resurrected King Jesus, if you have been made alive, here's what we want to ask of you today. We want to encourage you with us, even if this is your first time visiting. In just a moment, we're going to have communion here. We do it every single Sunday. It's not any different this Sunday. Jesus is alive every week, and so we celebrate it every week when we come. And so we come forward, and and the way we take communion is we just tear off a piece of bread, and we dip it in juice. And communion is something that Jesus actually instituted. Before he was crucified, he, with his disciples, said, I want you to do this as often as you remember me. So take the bread, and I want you to remember that it's my body that has been broken for you. Remember this, that I lived a perfect life you couldn't live, and that I was nailed to the cross that you deserve to be nailed to. And then he also said, I want you to drink of this cup. And he said, this represents my blood that was shed for you. You don't have to make up for your sins. You don't have to work harder. You can trust that I have atoned for your sins through my blood shed for you. And so each week we want to remember that. By taking of communion, we don't believe that God forgives you of your sins. We believe we're already forgiven through Christ and what he's accomplished for us. And so this is an opportunity for us to be reminded to taste and see that God is good and that he's accomplished everything we need through Christ. So if you're a Christian this morning, we encourage you to do that. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for being here. This is a place for doubters. This is a place for people who are just kind of peeking over the fence. This is, we're so thrilled that you're here. And what I want to encourage you, we don't have any closed doors really at fellowship here, but, but, but communion is just an opportunity for us to celebrate what Christ has done for us. By taking it, we always say, look, God's not going to love you more. He's not going to answer any unanswered prayer. He's not going to forgive you of any certain sins. That's really just grape value, grape juice, and some bread from Walmart. There's nothing special within those elements in themselves. And so what we encourage you to do is rather than coming and partaking of communion, would you just give your life to Jesus? That would be something much greater for you to receive is the gift of salvation today. And you don't have to pray any sort of magic for me, the prayer to do that. It's about a condition in your heart of just simply saying, I am dead in my sins. I am born an object of wrath. I do deserve hell because I have sinned against a holy God who created me and I owe everything to. But I have chosen, like Adam and Eve, to go my own way and to do my own thing. And today, I'm making a decision to stop doing that. Though I know I can't be perfect, I'm going to trust in the perfection of Christ on my behalf and trust that he has accomplished everything that I could not accomplish on my own for salvation. Jesus is my hope. He's all that I have and he's all that I need if you say that in your heart or something similar then we want to rejoice with you we want to encourage you to come talk with me or talk with a pastor talk with a friend that you came with and we want to celebrate with you pray for you and help you find what next steps you need to take to experience the life that you've been longing for I'm going to ask you to stand with me and I'm going to ask our those who are partaking or helping prepare the elements you can go ahead and come forward and uh, grab our communion and the praise band as they come forward.
let's just take some time and let's pray. Let's not let this moment escape us. Two things I want to do for those of you that are here that are, are my brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Would you just take a time, a moment in your heart to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for accomplishing what I could not accomplish. Thank you, Jesus, that you are alive. We don't just have to study about you in history books. We can experience you right now. Thank you, Father, for being near to us now. Through the power of your Spirit, who you have used to raise Christ from the dead and has now come into us. Just say thank you, Father. I'm going to encourage you to join me in praying also for maybe those, and and maybe you might be that person who says, I don't feel near to God. I don't feel alive. I don't feel satisfied at all. I have been living life my way. Would you take time, if that's you, I want to encourage you to just confess that to God and say, God, I need you to give me faith to believe. Would you please be gracious to me, Father, and, and help me to believe that you have... You have come and lived a perfect life I can't live in. You've died a death I deserve to die. And you've rose from the dead. And you've given me the gift of your spirit so that I can experience life. Would you pray and just ask him and just see if he doesn't do that for you. Father, I do thank you so much for each person that's here. Thank you that there is an empty tomb. I thank you, Father, that that the resurrection is not just an historical event but it's something that has profound implications in our life even today. For Jesus, if you were still in the tomb, we know that our faith would be in vain. There would be no reason to come and celebrate ever. But because you have rose from the dead, we can live as the most celebratory, thankful, life-giving people on the planet because you first gave your life for us. And you didn't just endure death, but you conquered it. I pray for each person that's here right now. Would you drive the truth of the resurrection deep into their hearts for their good and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.